Hey, I want to welcome everyone watching online today. Can we give it up for everyone watching with us? Come on, church family. You can do better than that. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're with us. Thank you for being here today. Um, We're going to launch into a series of five most important decisions you'll ever make. But before I jump in, I want to remind you that this Friday is our Dream Team celebration. And so that video that you just watched uh, is really us as a staff thanking uh, the the teams of people who make Red Hills Church happen on a Sunday morning and throughout the week. And so we're going to party and we're going to celebrate and we're going to have fun. And so if you are a part of the Dream team, you haven't RSVP'd yet, go ahead and do that. You can do that online, uh, or you can tell one of the staff members. We're so excited for this weekend. Well, this morning, uh, as we continue the series of five most important decisions that you'll ever make, uh, this is what we've discovered, and this is why I'm doing this series. Because as we emerge from the last two years, there's a lot of things and moments in our life where we have, uh, we, we have, um, uh, have new priorities or different priorities. And this series really is about reorienting our lives around Jesus and, and prioritizing the most important aspects of our life around God, around what he wants for our life. And the five most important decisions that you'll ever make uh, is about five themes that are most important in your life. Your faith, uh, your family, your friends. Today we're going to talk about your finances, and next week we're going to talk about your future. So I want to talk about finances today. And before some of you start to squirm in your seat and look for the keys, just hear me out. Several years ago, uh, someone came up to me and they said, Pastor, last year, it was around tax time. They, they were doing their taxes. They said, last year, I made a million dollars. And I said, well, that is so amazing that God has blessed you like that. And I bet that is a privilege to tithe off of a million dollars. And he just kind of glanced down, and he looked at me, he's like, actually, Pastor, I, I have a confession to make. I, I don't tithe off of that money. And he began to tell me his story. He said, I used to tithe. He said, when I made $40,000 a year, I tithed. When I made $60,000 a year, I tithed. When I made $80,000 a year, I tithed. But when I made over 100, I stopped tithing. It just seemed like too much. And in the sincerity of his heart, he said, Pastor, would you pray for me? So I prayed the most simple, sincere prayer a pastor could ever pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this man. And I pray that you reduce his salary to $40,000 so that he could trust in you again. No, don't say that prayer. Uh, Don't say that prayer. Listen, your destination is determined by your decisions, and that includes your finances. Now, my point of my series today, or my sermon today, is not to produce guilt in you, all right? That is not my goal. My goal is to produce FOMO, all right? Fear of missing out. Missing out on what? Missing out. I'm going to end today's message with the blessing that there is in giving in generosity. And so it is not guilt. It is to look at the blessing that giving actually is and managing your finances is. This is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Why is that? Because how you manage your money matters to God. How you manage your money matters to God. The Bible talks a lot about money. 
through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to look at some of these verses today. We're going to be all over the scriptures today looking at what the Bible says about money. And there is a direct connection between your spiritual life and your financial life, a direct connection. Uh, and God talked a lot about money. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell. Did you know that 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught were about money or possessions? Someone added this up. One commentator I read added this up in the, in the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One out of every 10 verses in the Bible in the in the synoptic gospels is about money or possessions. So it is important. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. I want to start with the words of Jesus. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money. See, the issue of money and finances and managing our finances is nothing new, right? The, 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 the idea that finances have become idolatry for humanity is as old as the scripture in humanity itself. And the reality is this, money competes for our devotion. Your money that you earn or that you make competes for our devotion to God. And it's very easy for people to end up worshiping money other than God. And Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's as if when we get baptized as Christians, we like to hold our wallets above the water. Martin Luther said this, that there are three conversions of the faith. Your heart, your mind, and your purse, all right? Uh, and a lot of us don't fully understand this. Maybe some here haven't fully walked in that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three mindsets about money. Three mindsets out of the scripture about money. And we're going to look at these and, and hopefully uh, orient our heart around Jesus with our money and how we manage our money. So let's start here. Let's start with the three mindsets of money. The first one is the bag mindset. The bag mindset. And the bag mindset is this, is that I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Some of you would like to give or be generous to give, and I'm not just talking about giving to the church, but giving to missionaries and giving to other people, but you feel like you don't have enough, that there's too much month at the end of the money, and you just don't have enough to give away. Well, let's look at the bag mindset. You can find this in Haggai 1.6. The word says this, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you are never full. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. All right, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you feel like your bank account has a hole in it, all right? That money is constantly, it is coming in, but there is a hole in, in the bag that is streaming out uh, money, and you don't always know where it's going. 
Maybe it's a transmission failure in the car, in your car, hole in the bag, all right? Maybe it's your kid's dentist appointment, hole in the bag, all right? Maybe uh, it could be anything. Maybe it's your school debt that you have, hole in the bag, that you feel uh, that the moment you feel like you're getting ahead, something happens, something comes up. You want to be generous, but you don't feel like you can. This is a common mindset to have, the bag mindset. And I want to say this, that this one is related, but it's the scarcity mindset. And, and this is, means this, is that uh, it's kind of the same idea of how we ascribe value to gold, or now digital gold, which is what Bitcoin, right? We, we ascribe value to something that is scarce, that there is a limited supply. And so gold has always gone up in value for the most part over the years because there is a limited supply. It's a scarcity mindset. And so people buy gold because it is scarce and it has more value. Well, a lot of times we take that main, same mindset and we bring it into our faith and into the dollars in our bank account that there isn't enough. And so I must save, I must hoard, I must keep. All right, because there's a constant hole in the bag in the checking account, and so I never have enough. By the way, this has nothing to do with how much money you make. It doesn't make it matter if you make $40,000 a year or $400,000 a year. You can have the bag mindset at whatever uh, uh, income level that you are. And the reality is this, if you have the bag mindset, your faith is in the bag, it is not in God. Your faith is in the bag, it is not in God. Someone else in scripture had the bag mindset. Judas had the bag mindset. He cared more about what was in the bag than doing what God had wanted him to do. He cared more about the 30 pieces of silver uh, than honoring Jesus Christ. You see, people often don't give tithes and offering to their church because they have this mindset. How can I give 10% when there's a hole in the bag, when I have bills, when my kids are in college, when, when I have expenses, when a gallon of gas is $5, all right, or more? Like, how can I afford to give? Personal experience that I have seen is that many Americans have this mindset. Their, their mindset, it's the bag mindset, that we don't have enough. There's not enough in the bank account. I can't make enough at work. I always want more. That's the bag mindset. Let's look at the second one. The second one is the basket mindset. And the basket mindset is this, that I have more than enough, that I have more than enough. This is a mindset of trusting in God in the area of your finances and giving freely and cheerfully. I love how Deuteronomy puts this. Deuteronomy 28, four through six. It says, the fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. 
What is the basket? The basket in this context is a container in which to hold your crops, your produce. And the sign of an overflowing or full basket is a sign of blessing and is evidence of the fruit of your labor, but also your generosity towards Jesus. Jesus talks about the basket mindset in Luke 6, 38. He puts it this way. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The audience that Jesus is talking to is the working class. It is laborers. It is farmers. And Jesus is talking about grain, which is the currency of agriculture, and filling up, uh, they would take their, uh, their, their clothing and fill up a measure of grain. Uh, and he would say that, that you fill it to the brim, you, you, you push it down, you shake it together, all right? How many of you have ever gotten a pint of ice cream at the store, uh, the self-serve thing? What do you do? You shake that thing down to get all the air bubbles out? Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? All right, you shake that together, you press it down, you get as much in there when you're giving away. That's what Jesus is saying, don't do things halfway. Don't be stingy. Why? Because God is abundant and God is extravagant. And when he gives you something, and I'm not just talking about money, grace or love, uh, peace, uh, he pours it out on you and he wants your basket to be full. He wants your life to be full. Jesus also said this. He said, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be trusted with much. The basket mindset. If you're faithful with the bag, God will trust you with baskets. Another, there's another story about the basket mindset, and this is the feeding of the 5,000. Some of you remember uh, this, uh, th this story, this narrative in the scripture, and it's that Jesus was teaching, and there's 5,000 men, which means there's probably 15,000 men, women, and children, all listening to Jesus preach and teach, and they all get hungry, because after church, you're always hungry, uh, and, uh, uh, and he says, let's give them something to eat, and all they could come up with was five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish, and what did they do? They put them in the basket, and they began to pass them around and if you're a disciple you're thinking is this it all right there's 15,000 people and you want us to divide this and what happened there was enough for everybody in fact there wasn't even just enough for everyone there was more left over how many baskets were left over 12 12 baskets were left over this is the principle of multiplication that that, that there is more than enough there is more than enough the bag mindset, the basket mindset, the last one is the barn mindset. And the barn mindset is this, that God is infinitely more than enough. God is infinitely more than enough. Let's look at Deuteronomy 28, eight again. It says this, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he is giving you. There's another person in the scripture who has the barn mindset. His name is Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph was thrown into a pit, 
He then went to prison and he made himself his way up to the palace. All right, so he had a difficult, tragic life until he made his way to the palace. And, and, and uh, Pharaoh had a dream, and, and the dream was uh, he saw seven fat cows and then seven skinny cows. You remember this story? And he's, no one can interpret the dream, and Joseph interprets the dream for him. He says, you're going to have seven years of abundance, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. So in the first seven years of abundance, you need to store up for the seven years of famine. Why would you store up? Why? Why would you store up? So that you can be a blessing. So that you can be a blessing. In fact, part of Joseph's journey to the second in command of Egypt was so that Joseph could be a blessing to his own family because they moved from Israel to Egypt in this time. And so the barns were full so that they could be a blessing. Did you know that you are blessed to be a blessing? When God blesses you, no matter what, in what area, your role from that period on is to be a blessing to others. It is not to save or hoard for yourself. It's to be a blessing to others. Proverbs 3.9 talks about the barn mindset. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first and best part of your income. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. There's a stewardship principle at work when we talk about our possessions and our spirituality. And the stewardship principle is this. It is that everything I have is God's. As a follower of Jesus, as part of God's creation, from cover to cover in the Bible, there is this idea of stewardship, that humanity is not owners of anything, but they are simply stewards of what God has given them, or God has entrusted them, so that we are stewards over creation, right? God created Adam and Eve in, in us as stewards over creation. You are a steward over your children, all right? You are a steward over everything you have, all your finances. You are simply a steward. You are a manager of God's money. Now, this is important. As we walk through life, for you to understand as a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you made that decision, that you own nothing, that everything you have belongs to the Lord. And your life as a follower of Jesus Christ and a spirit-filled life is learning how to live as a steward. Now, this should free you up in some areas of your life. Why, why is that? Well, if your car breaks down, it's not your car. <laughs> God, what are you going to do about my car, all right, or your car? Uh, yeah. You know, we, we look at that, even our own children... You may be the biological parents or adopted parents, but you are a steward because one day you will release them uh, as they move out and, and, and uh, you will always be their parent, but they will make their own decision and so you steward them. It's a stewardship principle. It's a stewardship principle. We are stewards over uh, what God has given us. And, and listen, if it's God's, if my money is God's money, 
or the money in my bank account. It's hard not to use the personal pronouns like my and I, but if the money that is sitting in the bank account that I opened is God's, it's really hard to get out of this. Are you, are you telling me, are you following me? If it's God's, then God has an unlimited supply. If I view it as my own and I am the owner of it, there's a limited supply. It's only what I can earn by my hands, uh, by, by working uh, or investing, that, then it's all the responsibility is on me. But if it's God's, there's an unlimited supply. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, a thousand cattle. How, how, how's that verse go? God is infinitely more than enough. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want the barn mindset? You want the barn mindset. God wants us to grow from the bag mindset to the barn mindset. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. If you wanna grow out of the bag mindset where there's a hole in the bag and you view your money as your own, then the way we do that is begin to give away. We begin to give away. The eye-opening truth is this for Americans, for most Americans. This may not be everyone here. This is a generalization. But most Americans have barn blessings, but they have a bag mindset. They've got the abundance in their life. There's not, not a shortage of money going around right now. But oftentimes we have a bag mindset that there's a hole in the bag and that there is not enough. So let me get really practical and really clear and preach what the Bible says about money. In fact, what the Bible says about tithing. The principle of the tithe. And by the way, when I use the language in my notes, I'm very specific and very particular about what I use. Notice I didn't use the law of the tithe. <laughs> I used the principle of the tithe. And let me be very clear, is that tithing, which tithe means 10th, giving 10% of your income to God and being generous in that way, uh, tithing is a principle. Uh, it is not a salvation issue. Um, it is an obedience issue. Uh, it is a blessing issue, all right? And so uh, it, you, you are welcomed at our church no matter what you view about money. We're a church where it's okay to not be okay. But the principle of tithe, it is not law, it is not salvation, it is a principle. And a principle always comes with a promise in the Bible. Have you ever read where there is an, uh, an, an act of obedience in the Bible, a command? Have you ever looked at the Bible, there is always a, uh, a promise. With every premise, there is a promise in the Bible. All right, it is a premise obedience and there is a promise that what happens if you walk in that obedience. So let's look at the clearest scripture about tithing. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there be, may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Did you know that this is the only time in the Bible the only time in the scriptures where God says, test me. How many of you know God is usually testing us? 
all right? But this is the one time where God says, test me in this act of obedience and see what I do. This is the one area in our life where we can test God. So what is tithe? Tithe means tenth. And in ancient times, in biblical times, the currency was agriculture. It was what you, you, what you could barter with. And so that was what people often used as their tithe. They gave their first uh, and, and their best to the Lord. So where do we tithe to? A lot of people ask this question. Do you tithe to your favorite televangelists, right? Do you, your, your favorite uh, podcast pastor that you listen to? Uh, you tithe to the storehouse, you tithe to the church that you're a part of, the church that you call home, the church that you're a member at. That is the principle of the tithe. This is really important. Tithe is actually not giving. Tithe is actually returning. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, isn't that semantics? Well, it goes back to the stewardship principle. In tithe is a return to me what God has said, not give to me. And so if God has given us everything, what he asked for is that 10% so that we can walk in, in faithfulness to him. So let's talk about the principle, and then I wanna talk about the promise. The principle is this. Give God your first and best, and he will bless the rest. Give God your first and best, and he will bless the rest. Let me give you the promise. 90% of your income with God's blessing goes further than 100% without. L listen, I, uh, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years, and I haven't always made what I make today. I started as a junior high youth pastor. Come on, somebody. That is like in my church that I was raised in, that was like the entry level position. All right, the custodians made more than I did. Uh, and, uh, and so Brianne and I, from very early on in our marriage, very early on in our careers, we, were, uh, we went from dual income, no kids, to one, uh, half an income, to, <laughs> to two to three kids. But we always trusted the Lord in our giving, always, even when we did not have enough to give. Even when somebody would say, you can't afford to give. You know what I would say? I can't afford not to give. Because the 90% of my income with God's blessing goes further than 100% without, why? Because without, it's the bag mentality, it's the bag mindset. There's a flow going out. 90% of our income with God's blessing goes further than 100% without. So why does God ask for 10%? You ever wonder specifics about what God asks in the Bible? Why does God ask for 10%? All right. do, you, do you know that in the Hebrew language, numbers are very important? And oftentimes, numbers have deep symbolism. All right, how many of you know that? Like the number seven means completeness. All right, the, the, the number six means weakness or evil. And so when, uh, when Jesus says, forgive your uh, brother 70 times seven, 
uh, right? He's saying like an infinite amount of times, like a complete amount of times. When the number for the Antichrist or the Mark of the Beast is 666, it's like the, you know, the ultimate evil. It's, it's like a, 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 a hyperbole, like a way to say like an extreme amount. And so numbers have meaning. And the number of 10 in the Bible is the number of testing. It is the number of testing. Are you with me? So, so let me go through some things and then you answer my question and I will show this to you. How many commandments did God test Moses with on the mountain? All right. Uh, how many uh, plagues did God test Pharaoh with? All right, look, come on, we can do a little better than that. How many plagues did God test Pharaoh with? All right, there you go. Uh, how many virgins were tested in Matthew and waiting for the bridegroom? How many lepers were tested after being healed to come back and give gratitude to Jesus? How many disciples were there? Hey, you did good. You've heard me do that before. You did good. We'll see how the rest of the church does next gathering. Listen, 10 is the number of testing. Now, none of us like testing. There may be a few odd people that do like tests, but most of us don't like testing. But we need to embrace testing in all areas of our life because the reality is we have a faith, scripturally, biblically, theologically, that gets tested. Abraham was tested with his son Isaac. Moses was tested. Joseph was tested. Paul was tested. Jesus was tested in the desert for 40 days, all right? He was tested and he was tempted. Testing uh, does not mean that God doesn't love us. Testing help, helps us endure in our faith and persevere in our faith. And when you are tested, it prepares you for what God has for you in the future. So let me close with this. The four blessings I receive when I tithe. Four blessings I receive when I tithe. Remember at the beginning I said my goal is not to produce guilt but to produce FOMO. <laughs> not really fear but, but this idea that I, I don't want to miss out on all that God has for me. Especially in the area of finances. And so four blessings I receive. The first one is this. I become dependent upon God. I become dependent upon God. He becomes my daily bread. I begin to reorient my life and my finances around him. I begin to trust in him. Not just in the emotional, spiritual areas of my life, but the financial areas of my life as well. So I become dependent upon God for everything. The second one is this, is that my faith increases. My faith increases. The trust that I have to give away begins to go up. Remember in the very beginning of this series, I said that faith at the end of the day ultimately is trust. And so the words faith, believe, and faithful are all the same word. Faith is what you have, believe is what you do, and faithful is who you are. And it's all the same word, and all has to do with trust. So you have trust that you can give away, uh, you, 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 have, you have trust uh, and be a trustful uh, person, a faithful person. It is all about trust. And when you trust more, your faith begins to grow. The third one is this. I become a better manager of the remaining 
There's something that happens when I do give 10%. I become a better manager. I become more wise with the rest that is in my bank account. I did some research on people who tithed and I found a very interesting study and it, and it said this. It, it said that people who give or tithe regularly have less debt than other demographics. Eight out of 10 have zero credit card debt. Seven out of 10 have no car debt. Five out of 10 own their home. 28% of them are completely debt-free, including not having a mortgage. One trap that we can fall into is that if I make more, then I can start giving. But, but a lot of times it doesn't work that way. In fact, if you look at percentages, that people who make at the top give the least amount percentage-wise. And often those who make less give more percentage-wise. So it has nothing to do with how much you earn. It has everything to do with how much you trust in the Lord. And the final one is this, is that other people are blessed. Other people are blessed. When I view my money as not mine, but God's, and that there's an unlimited supply, then I can begin to bless others in unprecedented ways. And I release the grip that money has over me. Decision number four, here's where I wanna end, is will I honor God with my finances? Will I honor God with my finances? Will I go from bag to basket, basket to barn, or will I let my money get in the way? As long as I still have something, I believe I own it. But when I give it away, I relinquish control and the power that it has in my life. And at that moment of the release, the light turns on, the spell is broken, my mind clears, and I recognize God as owner, me as steward, and other people as a beneficiary of God's blessing in and through me. Will I go from bag to basket to mindset? Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I wanna end here. I simply want to ask you, church family, I want to ask you because I love you and I love you deeply. Will you trust the Lord with your finances? Will you take the next week or two and ask the Lord and ask Jesus where you should begin to give, what amount you should begin to give, how you can begin to give and take that before the Lord and ask him to put that on your heart. We're gonna sing this song available. You know what? In every aspect of my own life, I wanna be available to God. I don't wanna hide any part of my life from him. I want him to work in powerful and miraculous ways in my life. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for the cross thank you for rising from the grave. Thank you for everything that you are in your name.